KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Imagine what your world would be like if you couldn't process sounds or decode words, if you weren't able to harness a fundamental human superpower, reading. Reading is the foundation to most of our ways of learning in our educational system today. That foundation to vocabulary and then eventually can affect general knowledge. Dyslexia has been studied for nearly 150 years, but to this day, we're still trying to fully understand it, how to detect it and figure out the ways it impacts our mental health and emotional well-being. I would say that everybody is experiencing it slightly different because we are all different, which means that dyslexia can manifest in different ways for each student. Elizabeth Barker is the Accessibility Research Manager in the Collaborative for Student Growth at a nonprofit called NWEA, the Northwest Evaluation Association. It's also important that dyslexia has a really big hereditary component. This is a pretty new movement in terms of screening and really looking at dyslexia, I would say within the last five to 10 years. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we learn more about the early warning signs for dyslexia and what parents and educators can do to help students navigate a potentially debilitating learning disability. I think a lot of people have heard the term, have a general kind of idea, but can you just kind of define dyslexia? Sure. I will use the definition from the National Center on Improving Literacy. I like the way that they describe dyslexia as a brain-based disability that affects the areas associated with detection of processing of sounds in corresponding letters. So what does that mean? What that means is that students typically struggle with the simple units of sounds, which are sounds are attached to every letter that we say, and those letters are strung together to make words. And that is the foundation and the area that tends to be blocked for students with dyslexia. Is all dyslexia created equal? Like if I have a group of 10 people that are diagnosed with dyslexia, are they all experiencing the same thing to the same degree? Or are there different degrees? Are there certain sounds that people struggle with? Are there things that are more prevalent? Can you kind of break it down? Is every case unique? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that everybody is experiencing it slightly different because we are all different. We have different strengths. We have different areas of needs, which means that dyslexia can manifest in different ways for each student. So to your point of, is it a varying degree? It could be. It depends on what their background is. It it could be what they're exposed to earlier on versus another student, what they've already experienced in life. All these things play a role in how dyslexia can show up or potentially look different, but the foundation to dyslexia tends to be the same. So that's, that's where we see the linkage is that brain-based block to the phonological system that we have for reading, but it definitely can manifest in, in different ways into extremes and to very simplistic, maybe simple things that need to happen for a student. And early diagnosis is obviously critical because somebody's learning to read, learning to speak, and there's problems. But I would imagine this is something that can be easily if not misdiagnosed, kind of dismissed as just a a kid who doesn't want to learn or a troubled kid or kid who's lazy or even not very smart? 
Yeah, those are all the stereotypes, um, especially from generations of students struggling to learn to read that tends to happen with, with kids. And it's because a lot of kids can mask what's really going on, right? They're smart. Kids are smart. They're looking around and they're watching their peers and they're seeing their friends are learning to read. And some students have really strong long-term memory and it can mask the fact that they are missing those foundational pieces to reading and actually are memorizing some of the words as they're going forward. So this can bubble up later on if a student is really strong in that area, or it can be misdiagnosed because a student, as you said, their behavior may be getting in the way because they are starting to notice, hey, something's not right here. Why am I not being able to read the same way as my friend? And this doesn't feel good. So those definitely can show up in other ways and something that teachers and parents uh, should be looking for. Talk about showing up in other ways. And this is something, Mm -hmm. if it's not properly diagnosed or not diagnosed at all, it's like a problem with kind of the foundation of everything when it comes to learning. And this is not something that's going to get better. It's going to manifest itself in multiple different ways, and it's going to affect everything you're kind of trying to doing as you're kind of assembling the tools for your tool chest as you're learning growing up. That's right, because reading is the foundation to most of our ways of learning in our educational system today. So if the foundation is missing and a student is covering it up with wonderful strategies, while that may help them later on Getting the ability to learn new vocabulary can be a big challenge. Learning that vocabulary to incorporate into writing, spelling can become even more challenging. So then the student uses the strategy of, oh, I can't spell that word, but I know a whole bunch of other little words, right? And so what that doesn't help with is that foundation to vocabulary and then eventually can affect general knowledge. And then all this can have an impact on a student's mental health. It's really important to get in there early and get the interventions or to get the foundations to reading that are needed for almost all students. So yes, to your point, it can definitely affect things later on because come third grade, fourth grade, students are expected to use reading as a vehicle to learn. We really want to get in there and make sure that they have those foundations. Now, a student with dyslexia, if they are getting the interventions that they are needing, that doesn't mean that it's going to go away and be done by third grade, even if they're fluent. That piece still needs to be nurtured, it still needs to be cared for, and it still needs to be talked about and helped throughout their educational career, because it's such a foundation to the rest of all the access in to the rest of the information that they will need in order to learn other areas in education. About how many people does dyslexia affect? Do we have a general idea of how much of the population deals with this? It varies. And depending on the research that you're looking at, it will vary. And it's a substantial number. So some will say one in five, up to 20% of the students. Some will say three to 17%. And I think what that comes down to is the policies that are in place what students are getting in terms of at their school, who's identified, who's not been identified. It really depends on your area. It really depends on those policies. And it really depends on the research that you're looking at. 
it's not rare. Dyslexia is not a rare thing. Students with reading disabilities is not rare, but it is a number that can fluctuate and vary. And it all depends on what resources you're tapping into. As a parent, as a teacher, what should one be looking for? What are kind of the warning signs that your kid might be dealing with dyslexia? And do those warning signs change as a kid's older. I mean, we talk about how important it is, the early intervention, but sometimes that's just not going to happen. So maybe are the struggles a seven, eight-year-old's having, are the red flags the same as the struggles for a three or four-year-old? Yes and no, right? Because they're getting bigger. And so you're going to see some of these transfer into other areas when they're older. Uh, So for the young kiddos, some of the big things that I tend to look for are areas with rhyming, and areas with if you're playing a game and you're trying to rhyme multi-syllable words, so words with with longer ending sounds, right? That can be a big struggle. You'll start to see that maybe mispronouncing words. They mean to say one word, but they say something pretty close. That's a common thing that can happen with students with dyslexia. And you'll see that one carry out almost through the child's life where they may mean the word regression and they say recession. This is a very common trait. Now, should we focus on these one traits? No, it's an accumulation. So if your child is doing these things, I I wouldn't panic yet. But you really want to look at their rhyming, look at their sounds, uh, matching those letter sounds if they're struggling in school to match, especially vowels. And then once they get older, of course, if they don't have those foundational matching letters to sounds, they'll struggle with spelling. And you'll see that a lot in older kids with multi-syllable words where they will be missing syllables from a word. So to the point where a spell check can't pick it up, that is one thing that you'll find. Ending sounds will be gone. So fluctuation endings, things like ing, ed, s are kind of missing from words little typos, uh, reversing, not letters, but sounds. And why I make that distinction is because we have this misconception that reversals is an indicator of students with dyslexia. And that's not the case. Reversals are very common. They're very common until eight years old. So don't put all your, your eggs in one basket on reversals. This is a very common thing for students to go through. It's more about that sequencing of sounds and the structure of the sounds and matching those sounds to letters, which can lead to a whole other kind of issue. And then not only spelling, but then you'll notice that students don't want to read. They're not interested in reading. It's a challenge. I mean, one of the things that we as humans do is we avoid things that are really hard for us. If sit-ups are hard for you, it's probably the last thing you want to do in your workout, right? Same with kids that are struggling with reading. The last thing they want to do is pick up a book to relax. They may pick up an audio book, and that might be really exciting for them. But to pick up a book and physically read it is also an indicator. And then later on, saying things like, I'm not understanding what's going on in class. This is really hard for me. I don't like reading class. I'm struggling with writing. These are all kind of indicators that a student may be struggling more than we thought. And really around sixth grade, middle school, the student has masked this in a way or hasn't been identified. This is when you'll really start to see some of the things 
bubble up because now they have no room left. They have no room left or capacity to memorize these new vocabulary words. They have nothing to pull on to help them to decode multi-syllable words. And so they're really starting to show some of these signs and symptoms of dyslexia. How is it addressed? Is it through therapy, extra teaching with a focus on this kind of what what is done to kind of smooth this out? Yeah, that's a good question, Matt. So one of the big components that has been around for a few years now that's getting a lot of traction is first to screen, screen at an early age, right? Get in there and see if there are any indicators. Now, a screening does not mean a diagnosis. That's really, really important. A screening is just an indicator to say, hey, we're seeing a few things. But what that screener can do can move students that may be showing signs of dyslexia and getting them the intervention. So what does that intervention look like? It looks like intensive instruction around those sounds and then matching those sounds to letters and then learning about how those sounds are mapped together in our orthography structure of language. Um, This can be called the six syllables where you learn about what syllabications are, which becomes very important for a student with dyslexia because it helps them to decode these really big words later on, not only in reading, but in writing and in spelling. There's a big movement around the science of reading, which really lays the foundation to these pieces. And I would say that that is an important aspect that schools and even college university programs should be supporting and looking into and helping our teachers learn about because it is something that students with dyslexia need in order to help them have access to the materials of reading. So there are really important kind of interventions that can happen and support students along the way. Also, another piece that doesn't really get talked about is while you're intervening at this foundational phase is really giving them access into reading materials. So don't forget those audiobooks are very important for students with dyslexia. This helps with building out vocabulary. And the more background knowledge that you have and the more vocabulary you can build will just help you with your reading later on and will help you with your writing later on. And so those are two really big areas that students with dyslexia should be receiving. We need to take a break. We will have more with Elizabeth Barker right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth. Our guest is Elizabeth Barker. Parents can usually get a feel like when a kid's, you know, they're struggling with something and you don't quite understand why. And I guess it's really important parents to share with their doctor, with the, you know, teacher, if it's preschool or kindergarten, like, hey, can we dig into this deeper? Because I feel like something's off here. 
Yes, parents are good. <laughs> I definitely are a good resource. You want to be asking them how how things are going. It's also important that dyslexia has a really big hereditary component. So if there is a parent that also struggled with reading instruction and may not have been identified as having dyslexia, since this is a pretty new movement in terms of screening and really looking at dyslexia, I would say within the last five to 10 years. So if you have a parent who struggled or a family member that struggled with dyslexia, it wouldn't hurt telling the teachers that this is something that has happened in our family. And I want to make sure that we're getting whatever interventions that they potentially need. And hey, I'm noticing these things at home. Is there something that we can be doing at school? What do you have in terms of a dyslexia screener? When will that happen for my student? If not, what are some resources that I can go to outside of the school? We've obviously gotten a lot better at identifying this But kind of overall, how much have we moved the needle to say 30, 40 years ago to now at identifying it, taking it seriously from the jump and making life easier for these kids? I would say it's definitely recognized more now. I used to be a special education teacher and we used to not be able to write or talk about dyslexia without calling it a learning disability within the schools. That has now changed. That is no longer the case. You can write dyslexia in the student's individual education plan. It is considered a learning disability under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. These are all big movements. We also see the movement of the screener, which is really big. And why that is big is because, as I was saying in the past, where we couldn't call these things out Uh, Now we're screening everybody. So this used to be if you had the opportunity or the privilege to have access to getting outside assessments done to decide whether or not you are dyslexic, that was how it happened. Now we're seeing this movement in the schools, policies in place of actually screening, which gives the ability for all students to hopefully be recognized or identified earlier. Hopefully in a few years, we'll find out whether or not this movement is really supported more initiatives moving forward in reading and helping students with reading so that we can see the change and the gap between students who are struggling or having the opportunity to learn to read versus students where this is not a struggle. This is something that they are picking up on. And hopefully we can see the opportunity really kind of closing That will take a while, but I do think the movement from even 10 years ago is is really big, and hopefully we'll see the fruits of that labor. From a mental health standpoint, I would imagine it's huge, you know, because if you're a younger kid and you feel different, you can kind of shy away from stuff. You think something's wrong with you. You think that, you know, you'd start to feel shame for something you can't control, like addressing this and just kind of addressing it head on like, hey, happens, one out of five kids, no big deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get through it. It kind of eliminates all that. And it's just kind of another factor of life and another factor of growing up that you deal with, you overcome, no big deal. Yes. So Matt, I will share something personal with you. I am dyslexic and I was diagnosed in sixth grade. And one of the things that my family 
recognized right away was when I found out I was dyslexic. My dad said, you just did a 180 emotionally. And I remember because I had learned, hey, people have this and they're going to help me get through this. And that made a big difference to me because I didn't feel necessarily different. I didn't feel that this was something that, uh, that something was wrong with me. It takes the onus off the student. It takes the, the pressure of, hey, you got to fix yourself in order to learn at school and that people are there to support you. So I do think it's, it's a big piece to dyslexia. Any disability is finding out what it is and how a student is supported is really important in terms of emotional and mental health. Because you're right, you do feel shame. You do feel that this is a problem that you, the student, the child needs to fix. There are times when you feel absolutely alone. And why, why can I understand these things over here in this area? But this is such a struggle. I think the most painful thing to do to kids is make them read out loud in front of a class especially with with something like dyslexia and other disabilities and other reading disabilities and really supporting kids and and figuring out different ways to perform things that you need as a teacher becomes all important to help that student emotionally and to realize and recognize their strengths that they do bring and that you're going to help them with this. Is this something that the dyslexia is with you all time? Are you always yeah. dyslexic? You just, by intervention, by learning and, and all this stuff, you're, you're able to overcome it, but the problem is kind of always still there, but it just becomes a non-issue because you understand how to deal with it. Am I, am I making sense? You are making sense, and I'm so glad you asked this. And I would say, personally, for me, that is the case. And I wouldn't claim that we are trying to cure dyslexia. You know, this is something that a student will have, but giving them the tools can help eliminate some of the issues that they would have. I know one of the first things that I thought about was, why didn't my teachers teach me phonics? My world would have been different because it allows so much access in, but that doesn't mean that it, that it comes easily. It's a conscious thought about intervention as, uh, for me as a student with dyslexia. And what I mean by that is I consciously have to think about the rules of phonics in order to decode a word that I don't know still to this day. Um, But I have the tools. They're there. I don't have to necessarily ask somebody. Now, audiobooks have been a big part of my life and, and I will constantly use them. It is the way that I retain information, but I don't use them alone. This is one kind of concept and controversy out there around audiobooks that students will only get it by listening. And that's not the case. Typically, when I'm reading a a book um, and using audio with it, I'm also reading along. So I have the hard copy and the audio because I need to see the words and look at what's happening in order to process it. Now, that is me. Now, this movement, if we see really intense instruction early on for these students, What does that look like and how does that change things? I think we are still left to find out. We don't have the all the answers there, but we do know that we remove barriers and we provide access and we give them the tools to succeed. 
And that's the really important piece. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.